This episode of Info Product Mastery, we'll discuss whether or not you should build your own tools or pay for SaaS apps when building an info product business. This is Info Product Mastery, episode 18. Welcome to Info Product Mastery, the podcast that helps developers make life-changing money by building and selling online courses. I'm your host, Adrian Rosebrock. And I want to start today's episode off with a bit of a story. My wife and I just finished moving to upstate New York a week ago. And previously, we had lived in the city of Philadelphia. And we had been there for almost four years. And, and don't get me wrong, we had a nice time in Philly. But man, that city, it's a bit rough compared to other United States cities. Crime has just skyrocketed there since COVID. And as a result, there's just some people there. I mean, not not an overwhelming majority, but there's just some people in Philly that just tend to be more moody and on edge. And it's not their fault. It's just the reality of living in a not great situation for extended periods of time. I don't blame people for being in a bad mood for some of the issues that they're dealing with due to COVID and financial strains and job-related strains and family strains. I, I get it. And I try not to take things personally when people lash out during this hard time. But during those four years in Philly, I avoided being in any sort of physical altercation, but I almost, almost got into a fight within 30 minutes of us putting the final bags in our car and leaving for good. You see, our house in Philly, it's on this dead-end street, and the road is super narrow. It's, it's meant to be a two-way street, meaning you know people can come in and go out on the dead-end street, but you can only really get one car in and out at a time. So what happens here is, since parking in Philly is just terrible, people who need to load or unload their car, say, you know, getting groceries, what they do is they drive down this dead-end street to their house, they park their car in front of their house for a minute or two, they unload their groceries or whatever else, they put all that in their house, and then they come back out and you know, drive off and try to find parking. And if someone desperately needs to get in or out during that time, well, you just politely ask the person to move their car because, hey, we all live on the same street, we know parking sucks, and we know how hard it is to unload and un- unload your car and like try and drag your groceries a mile away from where your actual house is. And you know, your neighbors, after all, everyone works together and they, they solve the issue and you go about your day, right? That all just comes from being nice and being empathetic and being neighborly to each other. Well, since Trish and I were moving out, I had my car parked in front of our house so we could finish loading up our stuff. And one neighbor at the very end of the street, whom I've only interacted with a couple of times over four years, Man, he must have been going through some pretty intense personal issues because he pulled out of his garage, saw my car blocking the street, and he just totally lost it. We had our garage door open so we could move boxes out. And this guy starts walking through my garage, yelling at me. And I mean actually yelling that I'm blocking him getting out. He's practically going through my house, looking for me, being a real sarcastic jerk and saying things like, don't you know this is a street? You need to move your car. Now, I'm a nice guy, but when you come in like really hot and heavy like that with this super entitled attitude, I'm not going to roll over for you just out of a matter of principle. So I told him, hey, man, don't worry, we're, we're moving out. You won't have to deal with me ever again, I promise. But that just made him more mad. And as I was walking inside to grab my keys to my car, he ran after me, ran through my garage, just yelling, this is the street and I'm running late. And at this point, I just, I just couldn't resist matter of factly saying, well, maybe get up a few minutes earlier. And listen, I know that wasn't right. And I know I was provoking him a bit there. And hey, maybe if I could go back and do it all again, maybe I wouldn't have said that to him. Maybe I would have been a bit more empathetic there. But I just couldn't take his attitude anymore. And also, I'm sorry, if, if you're running late, 
Like, I get that. I empathize with that. It sucks to be running late, but that's not my problem. And while I can empathize with you, don't put that on another person now. You know, you got to be responsible for your own life. I can't be your alarm clock, and I'm not a magic oracle who can predict when you need to get in or out. And also, man, you can see that there is a for sale sign on our house with a sale pending flag underneath of it. And not to mention, the bags of trash and the old furniture that we're either donating or getting rid of just stacked in front of the house. And by the way, I am loading up my car with our suitcases of like the important clothes we'll need over the next few days during the moving process. Clearly, we are literally, and I mean literally, on our way out. And anyone with a reasonable mind could see that. Well, this guy, he doesn't see that I've gone inside to get my keys. So he walks over to my car opens the driver's side door, and actually makes like he's going to start it and move it himself. Obviously, he can't since I have the keys. By this point, I am just dumbfounded. This guy has just lost any sense of what it means to be a good person or a good neighbor. He's practically gone through my house. He's yelled at me. And now he's going through my car. His actions have demonstrated that he doesn't have any respect for boundaries. And he's clearly not thinking of the second, third, and fourth order consequences of his actions. At this point, you know, this guy going through through my stuff, attempting to go through my car, I would be pretty justified in, you know, giving this guy a shove, get it, giving him off my property, or better yet, calling the police and letting them know that one of my neighbors is trying to steal my car. His wife is in their car and she is just screaming at him to stop what he's doing, knowing that he's gone over the line. And his wife continues to shout at him to stop because she sees how this situation could escalate into a physical altercation. But I made this decision right then and there. Don't fight. Don't take a swing. Even if you may be justified, it's just not worth it for a person who, hopefully temporarily, has lost what it means to be a good person. I had to be a bigger person. And when you're in one of those situations, it can be really hard to swallow your ego and pride. It doesn't feel good, but I knew it was the right decision then and there. And also, to be honest, fighting is just stupid. Only do it when it's life or death, when you or a loved one could get seriously hurt. And that the, the fight or flight response is the only thing that is saving you in that instance. I remember years ago, there was this guy who told me that it's only the first punch that feels good. And that stuck with me my, my whole life. As a result, I just avoid fights. It's just not worth it. So I walked out of my garage. He's raised in my hand. And I walk up to him and say in a stern but clearly aggravated voice, literally getting the keys. And I guess he didn't see me walk up to him because this dude, he just slumps down. His hands are up apologizing again and again. The aggression literally just drained out of him. You could watch the aggression drain out because now I'm in his personal space. I'm a few inches from him and his decisions are catching up with him. He realizes that I could very well take a swing on him. This guy is scared. He doesn't want to fight anymore. He just wanted to see how far he could take this crazy entitled attitude before he got called out on it. So being good neighbor, trying to avoid escalating the situation further, I moved my car, let him and his wife out, and 30 minutes later, my wife and I locked the door, never to return to our Philadelphia house. What an absolutely crazy way to end our time in Philly, right? And I tell you this story, not because it's just funny and absurd and, and worth telling, but because it's relevant to a question I received from podcast listener Misha. Misha asks, I'm in the process of building an online school. Engineer in me is looking at the available tools for building an online school and community and thinking, how hard is it to build a custom site using Ruby on Rails and Discourse? The startup person in me is thinking, I can get WordPress and Discourse stood up in 15 minutes 
hosted by someone who knows what they're doing for not a lot of money. But then I'm seeing these platforms that specialize in both community and online school in a single offering for $199 a month, example being MightyNetworks.com. Do you have any advice on what I should do? My advice to Misha is to avoid the fight. Don't try to build your own tools when others exist that will do the job for you. I see developers and engineers make this mistake all the time. They look at a particular app, let's use forum software like Discourse as an example, and they say, hey, I can build this. Why would I pay $100 a month for it when I could code my own version of it? And you know what? They're right. They're 100% right. They do have the skills and the intelligence to replicate Discourse, but what they're lacking here is the time. They aren't thinking about the time that it would take them to build that piece of software and how that time would be better spent in their business. Don't fall into this developer and engineer trap of building tools to solve problems when existing apps already exist. Be honest with yourself. How long is it really going to take you to build your own forum software? Or what happens when there is a bug or a database connection where the server goes down and your customers can't access your forums? All that falls on you and suddenly you're not building an info product business anymore You're maintaining forum software, which just isn't a good use of your time. You need to push back on that engineer brain. Don't let it bull you around. Have the strength and the courage to identify what will move your business forward and execute on that. Limit all your other distractions. If you can spend $100 a month to offload this tremendous responsibility and burden from your shoulders, do it. You're in the education business, not the development business. Spend that time writing content or recording videos or performing search engine optimization you have bigger fish to fry. So, okay, you decide you're not going to roll your own form software. Now what? Misha provides two great options here. Either install WordPress on a site with the Discourse single sign-on plugin so your customers can log into WordPress and then access the community forum, or you can use these all-in-one apps that include course software, quizzes, certifications, exams, forums. That's, those are websites like Mighty Networks and Kajabi. I'm a big fan of both these options and have done both in different circumstances. If you're cash-strapped, a simple WordPress site with a Discourse single sign-on integration is a great way to go. It saves you money and it prevents you from falling into the engineer trap of having to build your own solutions. I've also used the official WordPress and Discourse forum together for six years. I never once had a problem with it. It works and it's reliable. But there's a problem here. The WordPress ecosystem can be a bit fragile as you start adding more and more plugins. I'm a big fan of this notion of anti-fragility, meaning that when I'm confronted with a situation where a solution may be technically better, but is also more fragile and more likely to break, I actually revert to the slightly suboptimal method. This is especially true if I know I'm the one who will be responsible if and when the app or integration breaks. Because I know, in the long run, my time is better spent elsewhere in the business. It takes practice because your type A engineer brain is going to be screaming at you with a quote-unquote better solution, but you have to have the courage to push back. Don't let it bully you. Tell that engineer brain that writing code or building custom integrations isn't going to sell more books or courses. You need to focus on other areas of the business that will grow it. That's tasks like copywriting, creating some Facebook ads, writing a new blog post or, or recording a new YouTube video, sending out an email blast promoting your new product, And hey, put a call to action at the bottom of the email that pitches a product, right? Those are tasks that are worth your time and will move your business forward. So to sum up, avoid the fight. Just avoid the trap of building your own solutions. Your engineer brain, it's not gonna like it and it may sometimes feel counterintuitive, 
But trust me, it's just not worth the fight. You'll lose time, money, and customers if you try to build everything yourself. But with the fight, you'll be more successful in the long run. If you have any questions about this episode or suggestions for future episodes, send me an email at questions at infoproductmastery.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star rating in whatever podcatcher app you use, whether it's Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or Spotify. Not only do these reviews help motivate me to create new episodes, but they also help other developers, educators, entrepreneurs find the show. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.